Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Uh, I praise God by grace I get to preach to you this morning. That almost was not the case. Uh, yesterday I was involved in a head-on crash, and um, I'm still a little bit in shock right now, so if I don't make much sense today, you know what's going on. We um, rented uh, this big old moving truck, and we were uh, in a driveway pointed downwards on the hill, and when I got in the, the, the truck, bed, uh, truck with my son and his friend who were helping, um, the brake gave out of the truck, and it hopped the curb, went down the hill, and smashed head-on into a tree, and um, airbags and everything went off. Um, they were okay. I, got, I, I went to the ER, and I got scanned and everything, and I just have a lot of neck and back pain, uh, and I had to super glue my glasses back together, so I'm just show up here. And Pastor Jim and LeVan offered to preach this morning, and like my, my youngest son always says, not today, Satan. I wanted to preach. But, you know, you really should pray for your pastors. We're falling apart. <laughs> Pastor LeVan was really sick for a month. Pastor Jim's had two heart procedures, and I hit a tree. So please pray for us. I don't know what's going on. Um, before we get into the word, let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us this morning. There's a lot of things that could have hindered me and the rest of us from being here today, but we're here. People are listening online. People listening on the radio. This is your word. We're just going to step back and let you preach and let you do what you want to do because you love us, you speak true to us, and help us to believe you even when things are hard. And I know they're hard for a lot of us right now. So help us to believe you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you know that all of us in here, every single person exists, are interpreters of life. Like when things happen in the world or things happen to us, we make interpretations with everything. And we're either going to interpret things in relation to the way God sees them through his word, or we're going to interpret them according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's why uh, we have this struggle with believing God and his word or, or going over into the ways of worldliness. I want to share a definition with you of worldliness, if we have that definition. Let me read that to you. Um, definition of worldliness, this is from David Wells. It's that system of values in any given age which has as its center our fallen human perspective, which displaces God and his truth from the world, and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. It thus gives great plausibility to what is morally wrong, and for that reason makes what is wrong seem normal. It's the way we interpret reality. So let me give you an extreme example in the world, and this is not, I'm not just picking on the world, but uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the... Uh, one of the most recent champions on Jeopardy that is being 
praise throughout the internet and on the news is the most winningest woman on Jeopardy ever. And yet, it's a transgender, it's a, it's, it's a man. And I think, how in the world, and people say it with a straight face, if I was a woman, I'd be mad. If I was, all those feminists should be mad. I mean, with a straight face, that the most women, and so they're interpreting, you see that? They're interpreting, reinterpreting reality against God's word, okay? How many times do you do that? How many times do I do that? Where something happens to us, and rather interpreting it according to God's word, we interpret it in a worldly way. Just, just think about different things that happen to your life, conflicts that you have in your relationships, cars that crash, bodies that fall apart. You are going to make interpretations either from God's word or from your own mind. And so you may think things like, you know, God doesn't really care about me because if he did, he wouldn't let that happen. Or you make interpretations that say, you know what? I deserve better, and so you venture off into sin. We make different interpretations. Like right now, some of you are stuck in anger and bitterness, and you are justifying it because you're interpreting your life according to the world, the flesh, and the devil rather than the word. That's what's going on in the church, the Hebrews. They're being persecuted for their faith. They are being made to think that things would be better if they left Jesus and went back to Judaism. And as they're facing these things, they're making interpretations. Will I go with the Lord and the gospel and be saved? (laughs) Or will I go back to my old ways and perish? Because when things happen, especially challenging things and trials, you will make interpretations based upon the truth of the word or the lies of the world. That's where we're going this morning. So feel free to go ahead and turn to Hebrews 9. We've been in this book a long time. So if you're just joining us, feel free to go back and review the sermons from the last six months. Here's what we've been saying. Jesus is better. Jesus offers a superior sacrifice to any of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. He offers a superior covenant to the Old Testament, Old Covenant. He he serves in a superior sanctuary and he offers a superior everything. Jesus is superior. Are you going to go back, Hebrews, to the old ways or are you gonna stick with the better ways of Jesus? One leads to death. The other leads to life. So here we go. Hebrews 9, start in verse 15. For this reason. What, what? What reason? Well, this takes us back to 14, where we saw that through the perfect sacrifice of Christ, we can have our consciences cleansed and we can be forgiven so that we may serve the living God. So the definitive forgiveness of sins is a new covenant benefit through the sacrifice of Jesus. So far, so good. Go back to verse 15. Look at it again. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And there is a lot there. There's a lot in that verse. 
Basically, it's saying that Jesus died, offered himself to God, and he mediates this new covenant. This sacrificial death of his inaugurates a new covenant. And you think, well, what's a covenant? Well, a covenant is an agreement, all right? It's an agreement between God and man on how they were to relate to one another. And there was a covenant in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and there's a covenant in the, in the New Testament, the New Covenant. It has to do with Jesus. Now, I'm about, to, I'm about to share something with you that is amazing and exciting. This is going to blow you away. Now, I know some of you, I mean, how many of you would say the most exciting thing that happened to you this week is you got a new trash can? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. I've been looking on Facebook this week, and it seems like you guys and your new trash cans are just, that's the most exciting thing that happened this week. All right. This is better. Trust me. All right. We're going to answer this question, all right? Here's the question. Here's the question. How were the people in the Old Testament saved? Hmm. Don't you wonder that? How how were they saved? Did the people in the Old Testament experience forgiveness of sins? And if so, how? All right? So they'd made all these sacrifices day after day after day after day, and yet that wasn't definitive forgiveness of sins, right, for the animal sacrifices. Let's take, for example, David. Remember King David? How was he forgiven his sins? So he committed adultery, right? And then he committed murder. According to the Old Testament law, what's supposed to happen to him? Yeah, he's be, he'd be killed, right? What did he get instead? He got mercy. He got forgiveness. Why? Is it because of the Old Testament sacrifices? No. Because it's because of the mercy of God based upon the future sacrifice of Jesus Christ. People in the Old Testament are saved based upon the future sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they could experience forgiveness of sins. Think about this passage from the book of Romans. Romans 3.25. said, God presented him, that's Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You got that? David deserved death, but he got mercy. Where's the justice of God? God must punish sin. He punished it on the future sacrifice of Jesus. So let's just put this all together. All of God's people in the past and the present and in the future are cleansed based upon the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. You got that? All of God's people in the past, present, and future are cleansed based upon the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 15. Go back to verse 15, okay? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So all those who have received the gospel, who have believed in Jesus, will receive eternal life. And did you see it there? There is an eternal inheritance. So let's just take your interpretation of life, okay? There's an eternal inheritance in Jesus. 
The Hebrews understood this at first. They're being persecuted, and the Bible's going to tell us later that they were joyfully accepting the confiscation of their property. Their property's being taken, and they have joy. Why? Because they have an eternal inheritance in heaven. They're like, you can take my stuff, but you can't take my inheritance. So that so far, so good. They were basing a good interpretation of reality that in heaven is my eternal inheritance. But now that's getting kind of shaky. And it gets kind of shaky with us. I mean, think about it. There are times in your life where you're giving to the glory of God. You know you're storing up treasures in heaven. You're excited. But now there's sometimes that you're thinking thoughts like this. Will my money live longer than me or will I live longer than my money? Anybody have thoughts like that? Is there going to be enough money to take care of me? And then you're like, I'm going to keep some of this. I'm going to keep some security and safety. And yet we're called to store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because that's where our treasure truly is. We have an eternal inheritance in heaven. And so if you look upon your life and you just look at what's in front of you, you may feel scared. There's not going to be enough. But a right interpretation says you have an eternal inheritance in heaven that cannot perish, spoil, or fade in Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. I think we need a little history lesson. Verse 16. For where a covenant is, maybe your translation says will, for where a will is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant, or will, is valid only when a men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. All right, so this explanation from the author talks about a covenant or a will that's not put into place unless what happens? Somebody dies. And that's what happened in the Old Testament. There had to be a death in order to inaugurate this will or this covenant between God and man. In the New Testament, there has to be a death, and that is Jesus to inaugurate this covenant. Let's see what happened in the Old Testament. And for all of you who are squeamish, we're going to talk a lot about blood. Verse 18. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels in the ministry with the blood. So in the Old Testament, we're inaugurating this covenant between God and man. Man, humans are defiled. In fact, you could say that the stuff's even defiled. And so Moses has got this blood. He mixes it together. He's sprinkling it on the tabernacle. He's sprinkling on this and that. He's sprinkling on the people. And that's inaugurating the covenant. And then you have Jesus Christ show up in the New Testament. And he said very similar words in Matthew 26, 28. Look what he says. This is my blood of the covenant. Mm, That's interesting. Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, the old covenant, the blood inaugurated the covenant, and it was ratified when it sprinkled on people, and now we have Jesus. And you think, well, what's up with all this blood? Verse 22. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So under the old covenant, sacrificial blood is required for all the ceremonial cleansing. And almost everything was cleansed with blood. The tabernacle, its furnishings required for this blood because it's so closely connected with the people. And if the people are defiled, so are their things and their stuff. And so blood needed to be shed. It's like there was this infection that could only be fixed through death because our God is holy and sin deserves death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Hmm. So it was necessary for the earthly tabernacle and all that is associated would be cleansed with blood, how much more the heavenly sanctuary, which is basically talking about the very presence of God. So our sin is so deep that the only way we can get into the presence of God is by a superior sacrifice, and that superior sacrifice is Jesus Christ. And without his blood being shed, there is no forgiveness of sins. Stay with me. Verse 24. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. One day when you die, and you will one day, unless the Lord comes back, how can you be sure that you will appear in the presence of God and be accepted and not cast out? And the answer is through blood. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrifice for you, for your sins, wrath on him, not on you, righteousness given to you, sin given to him, you are accepted before the presence of God forever. But get this, even right now, you have access to the presence of God. Even right now, you can come boldly before him and receive mercy and grace to help you in your time of need right now. So let's pull back even more. When something is going wrong in your life, car crashes, health issues, relationships, money running out, what is going to be your interpretation? That God is for you or that God is against you? The way you interpret your trials and your problems will determine whether you stay with Jesus or you veer off. And that's what he's trying to tell the Hebrews. Stay with Jesus. Veering off is destruction. One of my favorite authors who's now with the Lord, his name is Larry Crabb. I'm going to share a quote with you. I shared it with my family this week. I, I can't get this out of my head. It's a little bit longer. I'll put it up for you to read. This is a quote from... Larry Crabb, listen to this. There's never a moment in all our lives from the day we trusted Christ till the day we will see him when God is not longing to bless us. At every moment and every circumstance, God is doing us good. He never stops. It gives him too much pleasure. God is not wanting to bless us after our troubles end He's blessing us right now in and through those troubles. At this exact moment, he is giving us what he thinks is good. Do you believe that? That God is working for your good and for his glory right now? 
You may say, well, what I feel, it doesn't feel like it's good. I don't like what's happening to me. Are you sure he's working for my good? Yeah. And the way you see your trials and the way you interpret your life will determine if you truly believe that. Think about the guy who established CNN, Ted Turner. Earlier in life, trusted Jesus, followed Jesus. Someone close to him got really sick. He prayed for their healing, didn't get healed. He's done. His interpretation was, God, you're not going to do anything. Maybe you don't exist. Maybe you're not real. I'm done. Think of another lady, 1970. Her 16-year-old child lapsed into a diabetic coma. She cared for her for the next 30 years. When things like this happen to you, you have an interpretation to make. Is God really working for my good? Should I stick with it or should I go my own way? And you will make that decision on a daily basis. What is your interpretation of what's happening to you? That God is seeking to bless you even in the midst of your trials or has he abandoned you? The author here is saying he is for you. Jesus died for you. He's at the right hand of the Father for you. He has an inheritance for you. And what we're about to see is he's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. Let's pick it up again. Verse 25. Verse 25. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. So Jesus obviously did not die a sacrificial death again and again and again. He's not like an earthly priest who had to enter over and over and over again. Verse 26. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. <laughs> man, if Jesus kept offering himself over and over again, then you're thinking, man, it wasn't a done deal. But since sin is so pervasive, it took one shot deal from the perfect lamb of God to die on the cross, not over and over again, but once. How do we know the father accepted his sacrifice? Because he came back from the dead, proving he conquered sin, Satan, and death. And he's going to prove it even more one day when he comes back a second time for his people. But now he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So his sacrifice works backwards, saves people in the Old Testament, and goes forward to saving us today. And here we go. Finish it up, verse 27 and 28. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly wait him. Now we know that, that perverse right there, right? It's people, they're pointed to die once and after that face judgment. But did you catch the verse after that? That the people who truly trust Christ are waiting for him to appear again. You see that? Did you ever see that there? They're waiting. We're eagerly awaiting him to appear again. So you just need to add to your interpretation of life when things go awry to think, okay, Jesus died for me. 
He's at the right hand of the Father, which means I have unlimited access. His death has given me an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept it in for you, and he's coming back one day for you. If you can interpret your life, no matter what's going on, through the grid of Jesus, his perfect life, his sacrifice, his at the right hand of the Father, his coming kingdom, if you start interpreting your life, no matter what has happened to you, through Christ, it would change everything. So the question is, what did the Hebrews do? What did they do? Do you think they bailed on Jesus? Or maybe, maybe the Hebrews said, you know what? We're sticking with Jesus. And things got married and got bettered. And they started getting their money back and their possessions back. And, and maybe they got, uh, more people got married and, and started having 2.5 kids. And we're living like this dream. One of the things that we think in the American church is that we're suffering now, but this is going to soon pass, and we're going to be blessed beyond measure on this earth just like Job was. Job lost it all. He got it all back. I've lost it all. I'm going to get it all back on this earth. But what if you don't? What if you don't? In fact, what if it gets worse? What's going to be your interpretation if your life gets worse? Cancer, not healed. Relationship, not mended. Is God still sovereign? Is he still in control? Does he still love you? Is he still working for your good? That's when the true interpretations of what's really going on matters. Is he for me or is he against me? And you need to know that he has a plan. And he's working his plan now. And it may not get better. But in Christ, you're forgiven. You can come to the Father anytime for help. You have an inheritance in heaven. And Jesus is coming back. No matter what's going on. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I, I, I see what's going on in my life from time to time. And I need to make interpretations. And my interpretations are not always best. And I don't always trust the Lord. Sometimes I wonder, why do things happen? You ever wonder that? Like, why did that happen? Like that crash yesterday, I can't get out of my head. Let me show you the picture of the truck that I was in. Let me show it to you. Like, why did that happen? I've never been in a wreck before like that. I've never had airbags go off. I've never, never, never. I mean, probably about an hour before that, we were enjoying a McDonald's lunch, taking a break. Things are fine. And then the brakes give out, and that's it. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why some of the things happened to you. But you have interpretations to make based upon Jesus. And you need to know these things. Number one, Jesus sympathizes with you, and you can draw near to God and find mercy and grace to persevere. I don't know what's going on, but I guarantee you, Jesus sympathizes with you. He's there to offer you grace, mercy, and help in your time of need. Number two, you have an inheritance in heaven. I guarantee you, you have Jesus now. You'll have him face-to-face -face later. You can live your life with sacrificial generosity. And lastly, you spend your days waiting for Jesus to come back. Either he'll come to you or you're going to go to him. Because I know that those who die in the Lord are with the Lord. 
A few days ago, we were in this sanctuary right here at Nancy Jones Memorial Service. We cry, we mourn, but not without hope. And our interpretation of death is that it's not the end. It's not hell. Those who are in Christ will live forever. This morning we hear Jim Hill has died. And one day we may hear that you have died. But we are among the living right now. And right now we need to make interpretations that are in line with Jesus. His forgiveness of you. You got access to the Father. You have an eternal inheritance. And he's coming back. And we should look forward to that. And until then, eyes on him. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.